This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, and this week I'm joined by David Aronovich, Faye Schlesinger, and Robert Crampton. On Monday, the Russian ruble dropped to an all-time low of 63 against the dollar, and interest rates were raised by 6.5% to 17%. Part of this economic collapse is due to the oil price drop, and part to sanctions following the annexation of the Crimea. Meanwhile, for the last few weeks, reports have been multiplying of aggressive Russian air activity, which could itself endanger civilian life. The consequences of Putinism, not the general election, will arguably be the great story of 2015. We need to wake up to it now. Faces pressed against glass and framed by an Islamic flag, millions watch the victims of the Sydney siege go through their 16-hour ordeal. All that terror seems to have been the doing of one man. The fact is that almost anyone can be a terrorist these days and heightened security can't be expected to protect against lone wolf attacks. The only solution is to replace the Islamic State ideology with something more appealing. The Kerry Smith debacle is the last time UKIP will be able to explain away revelations of their candidates' unpleasant views as the growing pains of a fast-expanding party. If it happens again, the charge that he is providing a home to far too many reactionary oddballs will be hard for Nigel Farage to ignore. So those are our topics for today, and we will start with the one that you suggested, David. Politicos like me are obsessed about the general election and who's going to win Borchester Central and who's going to lose Borchester Central and how the vote is going to be split in the suburbs of Borchester. You're more worried about what's going on in Moscow, and it's quite a, a good worry. And in a way, what is the bigger danger when these tyrannical regimes like Russia are flush with oil cash or when they don't have any oil cash at all and their backs against the wall? Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, just to say that I'm as, uh, as obsessed about Borchester Central as anybody, but every now and again... Yes, you, you're an Ambridge fan, for those <laughs> who don't know. And, and, and about the general election <laughs> and the rise of the SNP and so on. All these things are important, but sometimes we discuss these things as if we were separated from the rest of the world. We discuss our economy as if we're separated from the rest of the world. We discuss um, our kind of various the doings of the parties and so on. We've 
very rarely actually discuss foreign policy as a factor of uh, a British general election, possibly because we don't think we're that powerful, but actually because, apart from crises, we don't get to be that interested. Now, what you have here is a kind of burgeoning crisis. It's been rumbling along for a long time. We know already it's deadly because we already an airline has been shot down last summer as a result, effectively, of what Russia was doing in, uh, Ukraine, in and around Ukraine. And now you have this really significant set of economic problems, compounding the oil price collapse, Russia hugely dependent upon uh, energy exports, and also the sanctions, which means that the ruble's gone through the floor. Uh, to, in order to try and pick it up, interest rates have gone very, very high. What you now see is the possibility of a significant recession. And the question in everybody's mind is, does Putin do what um, uh, people, uh, authoritarian people tend to do in these circumstances, which is ratchet up the foreign policy crisis in order to cover yep. for problems he's going to have at home. And that's the big question for 2015, I think. But of course, we're recording on um, Tuesday, and what we don't know is we've, we're recording just after interest rates went up mm. from 10% to 17%. People listening to this podcast will probably be more up to date with how the economics has, has turned out than than we are. But Robert, are you as worried as David by um, Putin? Um, at the moment, opinion polls in Russia say he's super popular. Yeah, 85% um, because of the popularity. Sorry? Was, 85% we'll see how long that lasts. How vulnerable? Someone said, I think, on the news yesterday, the Russian people will put up with anything economic. You know, well, that's the, that's the issue, isn't it? Normally, if interest rates go up to 17% in, in a so-called democracy, then uh, your popularity is the... Uh, Prime Minister, was he now president or prime minister? He's, president. Done, he's, he's back to being president, isn't he? Uh, would suffer. But the, uh, the problem with uh, authoritarianism is that Putin now controls most of the media. We don't really see Russia as a proper democracy in any sense. So the question of them putting up with it and, and them having to put up with it, uh, along with some, yeah, there would there'll undoubtedly be some foreign adventurism. That's what he always does. He did that in, he's been doing, I mean, that's his, that's his, his, his signature policy really isn't it yeah. it has been ever since uh 2000 when he got in when the times choose at the end of every year uh, Faye, mm. we choose our people of the of the year last year putin was our international person of the year not obviously because we approved of what he was doing but because of his impact on world events perhaps he's a very good candidate for this year and next he's year a, too. He's very clever. You know, um, um, David referenced this um, sort of increase in military action. There have been, um, Michael Fallon said this week, there have been a hundred instances. The Defence Secretary. Defense Secretary said, this, said this weekend there have been a hundred um, uh, times when the RAF has had to be scrambled And it's just this needling effect. He's not done anything mm. so significant. I mean, he's not flying over London. What he's doing is just, just impinging on our waters, so we're just a little bit worried and it is that it's, it's like the, the, the g20 summit in brisbane wasn't it? he's parked um warships off the coast just to sort of send a message to all the world leaders that he has yeah. this huge military power but it's but it's what he does whether he escalates that or and if we do cast forward i mean i know you're saying that well the economy is something he could still still remain popular through if he doesn't remain popular and he goes it's what happens after that because i don't think anyone's really considered that we what, what would happen to russia post that point and if we're going to cast forward right into 2015 
2015 that's something we should be considering there's a very good piece in um, Tuesday's edition of the Times and I should say to all people listening particularly to Times subscribers if you go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central not only can you subscribe to this podcast but you can access articles like Robert Peston's and David Aronovich Robert's view was that normally when the oil price tumbles this fast what Saudi Arabia does which has a massive impact on the oil prices slow down production to put the oil price back up but Robert speculated that in this occasion um, Saudi Arabia deliberately wants to punish a country like Russia for its position on the Middle East because it has the reserves it can withstand this huge unprecedented reduction in the oil price and it it knows that Russia can't Mm. and it's almost got it by the uh, by the economic Uh, ghoulies I think we often kind of look at life from the point of view of um, how many enemies we have and how bad things are for us and so on so we can occasionally not really quite look about how difficult life can be for the people we don't like so much uh, and so on and uh, Russia and Iran made quite a powerful enemy when they're uh, in Saudi Arabia both in the context of Syria uh, and obviously in the case of Iran in terms of the Sunni Shia split and as a consequence it does look as if Saudi is using oil price as of as much of a political lever as the Russians traditionally have been using their energy price. But there's something else going on as well, really, which is business, world capitalism, will do business with Russia as long as it believes, essentially, that it's not going to make some huge possible future loss as a consequence of adventurism by the Russian government, Mm. or as a result of corruption within Russia, which means that what it uh, actually invests is put at hazard. I don't think that people believe that at the moment. I don't think they've believed that since Crimea. I think they believe that Putin is unreliable, essentially, that he would that he would use Western business and Western use business interests mm. as a lever Robert, and has used energy policy. I think, it predates, I think it predates Crimea, actually. If I remember rightly, I think BP pulled out of quite a big deal three, four, five years ago. Yes. Because they're... they're, they're uh, uh, essentially because something had been nas- effectively been nationalised, something which was belonged to them. And th- and if, if property law is not working in Russia, when it hangs by a thread, always has done, then that makes the conditions for capitalism pretty much untenable. That, that may be, of course, true going forward, but I think at the moment there's $400 billion of exposure to the mm. Russian economy. We'll be pulling that out. Bit, so they'll that be pulling out as fast as they yeah. can, yeah. but for the moment they are exposed. Can I just go back to Borchester Central for a moment and get back to the politics so of this of <laughs> in terms of Britain? We're yeah. not a net oil exporter anymore. We cease to be quite recently. Yeah. So with respect to the, I mean, with due respect to the Russian people, uh, in terms of our economy, it's isn't, it, isn't this pretty good? In the, in the Oil down to $60 a barrel and falling? It, it certainly should be in the yeah. short run, although as recent sun front pages are saying, it's not being passed on to uh, at consumers all. at the pumps yet. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's pretty bad use for the Scottish nationalists. Yes, it is. As it happens. Yeah. If, if Scotland yeah. had voted for independence, the yeah. uh, economics of independence would be looking pretty shaky at the moment. But yeah. we have to move on to our um, second topic, which is uh, proposed by you, Faye. Um, although the perhaps the long-run implications of what we've just discussed um, in Russia may be more significant. Uh, Monday's newspapers, Tuesday's newspapers and broadcasts were dominated by the events in uh, Sydney. And in your uh, topic for us, you're, you're recommending that we replace the Islamic State ideology with something more appealing. I'm desperate to know that what solution you, you have. I'm not going to propose a new ideology, but what I am going to say, so last week um, 
Melanie Phillips, Times columnist, argued on this podcast that what we need to do is wipe out essentially Islamic State using military force. I don't think that, what my point is that I don't think that can work. What we're seeing, what we saw in Sydney um, yesterday, Monday, was a man who, he's, he's not just been to Syria as far as we know, he's not been trained out there, it looks like he was acting as a lone wolf he came up with this um, idea of a siege himself by the looks of it mm. um, and carried it out and he's able to do that if we, this is this goes beyond Syria and Iraq, it's not we, yes, we have a problem with Britons going out there and coming back and possibly being um, um, radicalised, but they can equally do that from their, their seats in their bedrooms. They don't need to be going out there. So what we need to be doing is trying to talk to these people and work with them somehow so that they don't want to be carrying out attacks on their own soil. It's interesting, there's a very interesting um, uh, report recently about Denmark and how it's treating its jihadists. Unlike what Britain is doing in most Western countries, they're coming back, we're jailing them basically, and we've seen that happen a lot yeah. here. Um, and something getting very long term. There was a man who got five years recently after his family um, went to the police, and the family said afterwards, "We're not going to, we wouldn't do this again." Essentially, yeah. he's got such a long jail term. But what Denmark is doing is saying, "We're going to work with these people. We're going to say, look, you are a youth who's disaffected. Um, I'm going to treat you." It's almost sort of, it slightly belittles what they're doing, but with the with the aim of sort of getting into the brains of these people and saying, "Look, there's another way. You can be." There's very interesting quotes from Muslims in Denmark saying, "I thought that to be a good Muslim." I needed to leave Denmark because actually existing in this non-Muslim society wasn't working. What this mentoring program had shown them in Denmark was that they can be a good Muslim in Denmark. Mm. I think it's really, really difficult being a Muslim in Britain at the moment. I know that from Muslim friends who have yeah. said, you know, how do you react to this? You know, we can say, oh, it's, it's, it's an Islamist thing, let's separate those. But in the minds of a lot of people, they don't separate them. So th there, is a, there is a disengagement that's happening and the risk is that we get radicalisation without people going to Syria and Iraq increasingly. It, 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 to see to what the mood that. of the public is because yesterday I mean Monday in Australia there was a big tweet campaign mm. called yeah. I'll ride with you yes. with Australians yeah, saying any intimidation of Muslims will stand with you exactly you know we'll yeah. be with you but equally um, the Tony Abbott's sort of response to the Prime Minister of Australia's response was why was this person who had been uh, guilty of or certainly charged with sexual offences it had a record mm. of violence why was he at liberty and there will be that feeling abroad as well that anybody dangerous mm. should be in there's in custody so robert robert well, Crampton, always that which will which is going to mood is going to prevail i don't know i mean I, I, we saw this here when the, with the report into the, uh, the 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 lee rigby uh, murder where the uh, and there is a feeling of, uh, of, of kind of impotence that, that, that the security services should be following these guys uh, around all the time. And it's, and it's, a, it's a perfectly understandable urge to uh, find a, an explanation and also, to, and also to find a scapegoat. I think young men do stupid things, some young men. Uh, there's this uh, ideology out there at the moment. Uh, we've seen various ideologies throughout the last century come and go. This is the one that seems to be motivating disturbed as, as a, a, a fraction of disturbed young men at the moment. You see them as disturbed? Is that the, the right word? If you believe this kind of stuff that these people believe, then yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. It's not just yeah. ideological. It's not people who are perfectly sane, perfectly balanced, perfectly prosperous. They just believe this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Um, Islamist ideology. I think they, those two are mutually exclusive. I mean, they might be prosperous, they might be, but I don't think they're sane. I'm, I don't think they're rational. Okay. I don't get into medical definitions, no, sure. but I, I don't think they're rational. Uh, I think to believe uh, what these people seem to believe about the way the world is, the way or the way the world should be, the way the position of women in that world, the position of gay people in that world, and a whole host of other things, which are essentially medieval in character, pre-medieval, uh, is not rational. Okay, David Aronovich, where do you stand on well, I, the um, status of these young men? Um, usually, are men. I, I agree with part of what Faye says. I mean, the only bit I disagree with is that I actually think that there is a military answer to ISIS actually in situ in Syria and Iraq, and I can't see an alternative. I think actually we should have acted much sooner to destroy them uh, there. But it wouldn't including just, ground troops, because that's been a debate this yeah, including week. Whatever, including whatever yeah. it takes. I actually don't think, uh, from what I can see, that it would have taken a huge ground troop commitment to deal with a force like ISIS. Certainly not um, back a few months ago. I mean, it's it, it's burgeoned since then. It's a, it's a kind of testimony to what happens if you let things go. But she's certainly right that it wouldn't have altered this chap who actually was not a youth, but actually quite, mm. a, quite, mm. quite a middle-aged chap, who's decided to go out in his own kind of bonkers blaze of glory uh, it may well be that nobody would have been killed, and was, you know, at the moment we're making this broadcast, we're still getting the reports in, if it hadn't been for the bravery of the manager who was wrestling the gun from mm. We just don't know. And, uh, and at any one time, in any society, there are a number of total fruitcakes wandering around with a variety of causes from the far right to Islam and so on. Now, of course... Because Islam is the one that gets most media attention, uh, and it is the one which is kind of uh, is most present. If you're going to be a nutcase looking to go out in a blaze of glory, and you're going to want to attach yourself to a cause, then this is probably mm. the cause that you're going to attach yourself to. And as with the guy in Ottawa, who turned out to be another unhinged guy trying to get back to Libya and not somebody linked to ISIS and so on you have to be very careful not to overinterpret what's going on but keep your cool and saying this is what these people are like really and they're akin to this you know uh, type of person rather than to that type of person and not part of a great global jihad uh, and so on um, however 
I, coming back to Faye's point about Denmark, I tend to agree with this. Uh, I think that you need to be clever rather than punitive. After all, the, the object is to stop it happening. <laughs> it's not just to punish people who might conceivably be responsible for it. You want to locate them. You want to spy on them. So I'm very into spying and all that. And I'm, uh, I, I, I'm making sure that we know who's doing what and when they're doing it and so on. But then you need to be clever about it rather than just punitive. But you might say you could stop it happening by locking them up. But that won't work because you can't lock them up forever and then you get anger within a community about the locking up because this might just be a 19-year-old kid who not, is uncertain about what he's doing. So I'm not sure that works. And going back to David's point about the military action, I don't know whether now ISIS, Islamic State, has become so big as an ideology that actually it transcends the physical presence in Syria and Iraq. And there, you know, you've got people even in Northern Africa who have declared affinity with ISIS. Anybody mm. could do that. I know I could sit here and say, right, I declare affinity with, with Islamic State mm. because it's easy to do. I think it always did. And not only is it easy to say, but it's now easy to do things about it, like we saw with mm. the Lee Rigby um, murder, because yeah. it's easy to act. Before we way. move on, um, Faye, your job at the Times is to help edit the, the news, and this siege in Sydney was given huge coverage. Now, if you are a terrorist anywhere in the world, you know that a, a bomb in Damascus or Baghdad, that would be sort of item eight on, on the television news. This has dominated the news. I'm sure there is nothing we can do to stop the level of courage there is. We all can identify with a chocolate shop in the middle of a western city in a way we can't identify um, with a suburb of, of Baghdad. But this sort of level of cover coverage is only going to send a message to extremists. If you want to make an impact, if you want to get attention, this is what you do. As, as a news editor, I am grappling more now with this issue than I ever have before. I really, you're absolutely right. We are giving him or them what they want. And I, the problem is that you're not going to have a media blackout because that would require such intervention by kind of sure. higher powers. It's not going to happen. So I don't know what we do about that. I mean, I, I was I went to the pub um, yesterday with a Danish woman who was talking about in Scandinavia with Breivik, who was the um, terrorist who killed mm. heaps of young people. A horrific attack. And if you remember the inquest into their deaths, they wouldn't allow him to speak or to, they didn't broadcast anything he said. And I thought that was quite interesting because they, they actually acted on the idea of saying we don't want to publicise or give, mm. give oxygen to these views. Uh, the media, yes, we have a role to play. And for example, the Independent said today that it wouldn't publish any um, any of the video grabs from uh, uh, that were broadcast during the actual siege and things. But realistically, these things are happening in real time with real people, hundreds of thousands of people. Sorry, and even, thousands if, of people and even if newspapers like the Times or broadcasts like the BBC, then but there's YouTube, Worldwide, there's Twitter, yeah. there's it gets out anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess what we can at least do is not sort of. Um, give them everything that they want so yep. we sort of control it ourselves as media and have our own say and have our own take on it and let people's voices be heard and a plethora of voices from, from different sides um, and that's the best we can do because I don't think there's really any other solution to that side Okay, well our third topic is the one suggested by Robert Crampton and Robert, this is your debut on the podcast so mm. thank you very much for, for joining us and um, Has David... he managed to escape so? <laughs> I, I have to keep my head down <laughs> um, David Aronovich um, in the context of our last discussion mentioned the word fruitcake and yeah. um, of course this was famously David Cameron's insult against fruitcakes and loonies uh, yeah. closet ra racist fruitcakes and loonies Some, yes. an insult I think he regrets yes. now but maybe was he, he actually right? Maybe he doesn't regret it quite as much as he has been regretting it Perhaps he doesn't regret it privately but perhaps publicly he, Because they are coming does. in a fairly steady stream so uh, 
Hugo Rifkin wrote a, a very good piece on yeah. in Saturday's paper listing just seven of UKIP's latest uh, oddball incidents. Yeah. It, it seems to be going on and on and on, but not really affecting its support in the opinion polls. Well, this is the question, isn't it? What, when, at what point will the British people uh, start to become bothered about some of this? I mean, this, this is a guy, well, I suppose what he said, I'll repeat it on here, but the, the, the remark he made about the Chinese lady and the remark he made about Chigwell, I suppose you could say yeah, black humour maybe uh, let him off, not saying it's right to use that sort of language about Chinese people, but you could say that was, there was no particular vitriol there. But what he said about gay people, there was, there was a real unpleasantness uh, there, and and he blamed his medication. Do you sort of become racist, homophobic? No, I wrote, a short, I wrote a little piece about this this morning saying, uh, I, I did turned it around the other way and said, well, I've got, why, why would you apologise if it was your medication's fault? Why apologise? Why resign? Because we've all had that experience of taking a Valium and waking up as a racist, ranting homophobe. <laughs> I think UKIP have got a problem because they're trying to make themselves uh, presentable. And if that means being competent and being well organised and all the rest of it then fair enough that's what you have to do but if it means lying about what you really believe about the way the world should be that is a problem because you you will then be you will then get found out about it uh, and this is and that's what's happened to this guy and what happens quite regularly as Hugo detailed and I don't think British people either uh, cheesed off Tories in the South or sort of golf club Tories in the South or kind of working men, Labour voters in the North, I don't think they, I think they're better than that actually. I don't really think that does represent their views. Yeah. I think UKIP, UKIP have represent, have managed to uh, put together this kind of portfolio of general gripes of the man in the pub or the man at the, the, the man at the, the 19th hole. But is that is that one of them? What what what? Uh, the, uh, uh, yeah. uh, being rude about gay people, or I, I, I don't think it is. So I I think they will start to suffer. If you look face to face at the opinion polls, yes, you've got UKIP doing quite well amongst a minority of the population. I think they're averaging about fifteen percentage points in the opinion poll. But equally, when the country is asked, the whole country is asked which is the meanest, least acceptable mm. political party in Britain. Which do they? like least UKIP is now clearly outperforming even the the mean nasty bold party yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Tory party yeah. so in a sense what Robert wants is coming true most British people are rejecting UKIP but I think he's wrong because we don't hold we and and not just UKIP voters but people who are interested in hearing what UKIP has to say which is all of us definitely in this room at least sure. and, and much more widely than those who would support UKIP they don't hold UKIP to the same standard and the same gold standard as they hold the parties of government or mm. the parties of potential government there is no chance that Farage will be in government come 2015 it's not going to happen people know that and what they're interested in I think is much more um, what previously they were interested in is Lib Dems as, a, as an opposition party and mm. as a voice for things that aren't being said they believe by, by the Tory party by the Labour party by the Lib Dems so they're a Allowing what we consider and what what they consider too to be unacceptable behaviour to sort of go go under the bridge basically yeah. because they're much more interested in the issues the the immig immigration for example it's quite interesting we're, we're often quite sort of critical of this idea of picking up on little petty points you know or, or 
maybe I should say politicians are actually quite critical of picking up on petty points. They say, well, let's look at the bigger things. Um, and that's what's happening with UKIP. So even on policy level, people, I mean, their policies are not robust. They don't stand up to scrutiny. They don't, the, the figures don't add up, for example. Again, people seem to be forgiving those things. So while on the one hand they believe this is a party of sleaze and of nastiness, they also say, but we're really interested in them. Because they have such contempt for the three big parties at the moment almost they will just want to give those parties the bloody nose and if UKIP is the best vehicle for them to do it. And it's absolutely right the newspapers expose these things. We have to because we're not going to ignore the fact you've got homophobic comments from UKIP candidates. But equally, I don't think it's actually having the impact that you might expect it to have. So David, it's perfectly consistent, isn't it, to believe that actually the British people, the vast majority of the British people will hate the influence that UKIP is having on politics and not vote for them, but still a hardcore of 15-20% of people will, and you know, they may hand Borchester Central, going back where we started, um, to, you know, to... Uh to the Labour Party rather than the Conservatives. Well, you, you, you they will have an impact. Um, well, you do feel very much as if the kind of political dog, that in fact the country's political dog, is being wagged by its tail, the tail of the 16% who will vote UKIP. But partially also this is a theatrical question. You realise this when uh, BBC Question Time, which I think once upon a time could have been claimed to be a fairly sedate programme, which mm. typically would have had a Liberal Democrat and, and a Tory and a Labour person and maybe one other to kind of leaven it, and has now kind of expanded out to this sort of I don't know kind of coliseum yeah. of, of of strange people mm. um, and where kind of the apotheosis of you're it thinking is of the Russell, Russell Brown, Brown. Nigel yeah, Farage and, debate and, last and, week and, and and everybody says this is terrible how can you have Russell Brand and Nigel Farage and everybody watches it and everybody tweets about it and the people at the BBC get the message loud and clear that this is actually what plays so part of this is not just a question about allegiance it's also a question if you like about the theatre of discussion uh, and the fact that this is a a much more kind of fascinating way to discuss politics than any discussion of anything as dry as what a government is actually going to do and what policies it's actually going to fulfil. But Robert Crampton, final word to you, David being slightly negative about that question time theatre, but a lot of people out there will say we're fed up with all the, the lib lab Con the the fact that the main parties agree on Europe, they agree on the NHS, they agree on the UBC. They, Having a different view, of, thank goodness. Of course, and that's the appeal of UKIP. They're kicking, they're kicking the uh, the uh, the Westminster elite is the, the current phrase. But you, uh, uh, you that's you, you that's what populism does. But it, it's war, it's treading a very dangerous uh, 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 line because it's sucking in these uh, uh, people who are who, who, who've got some really unpleasant. Uh, it's a package and, and some of the views in that package are really quite unpleasant and I hope that the British people including some of the 16% don't buy it Good, well that's a good note to end on Robert Fay, David, thank you very much thanks to Dave Maguire, uh, my producer and do join us next week for a very special review of 2014 I'll be joined by Peter Brooks the award winning Times cartoonist and we'll be uh, examining I'm not quite sure how we'll do it on uh, just with on radio but we will be looking at some of his best cartoons and through those cartoons we're reflecting on the big events of the year until then, goodbye Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.